enough pockets. If you were asked to describe this Easter morning for yourself, what punctuation marks would you use? Mine, for myself, started about daylight this morning, and when the alarm went off, it started with a less than energetic question mark. Oh, man, already? For some of you, as you were preparing uh, the Easter meal to end all Easter meals, or as you were preparing the, the dish that you may have brought out for this for our uh, brunch today together, uh, it may have been with an exclamation point. Panic sets in as you realize maybe you overslept by 15 minutes and you think, oh, no, I've overslept. I should have stayed up all night cooking. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. No store is going to be open this early on Easter morning. Maybe it was something like this. Maybe it was just simply a period at the end of the statement, like, come on, get up. Church starts in an hour. we got to get ready. Not much to cheer about, just a simple statement of fact. Or maybe yours started with a comma. More or less, as you lay in bed, it was, well, you know, I could just miss church this morning and just watch it on Facebook or watch it on the website. I just think I'll lay here just a little bit longer and then I'll wake up. And two hours later or so, early afternoon, you wake up. It was a possible answer, a debatable answer at best, and yet it was an answer that you gave to yourself that satisfied you at that particular time. But I want you to look at the reading that we have this morning. You'd see how punctuation marks might have dictated to us what the feeling around the disciples were that resurrection morning some 2,000 years ago. If you look at the first nine verses of John chapter 20, our story is set up by the writer um, or te by telling us that Mary had gone to the tomb uh, to, of their friend Jesus. Can you imagine the confusion that had to run amongst their, those close friends later on that day. Two days later, or two days before though, on that Friday, that day had ended in complete and utter horror and chaos. Their friend had been crucified. His body had been hastily taken down from that nasty blood cake cross that he had to endure for what seemed like to them an eternity. Yet it was only just a few hours. After a few days again on that Friday before, there was the earthquake. There was the darkness that had come, had come upon everyone and everything. Big rocks were splitting in half. Tombs were opening up. Dead people were walking around. People uh, looking for places to hide, and there was no place to hide. They'd even heard, some of them had, that the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the temple from the rest of the world, it had been torn in two somehow or another. But the man that had been counted on to lead this some kind of glorious revolution, he was gone. He was dead. That was what was important to Jesus' friends that evening of his death. Now, on that particular day, the day he was crucified, some of his Jesus' closest friends were there. Mary Magdalene was there. His mom watched the whole affair. I'm, I'm not sure if they were 
had even thought so far as to head, uh, so far ahead as to where they would bury their friend Jesus. Everyone was just so caught up in the moment. They were horrified. They were terrified at what was taking place at that moment of the crucifixion. But then again, he had talked time and again about that day, that time would come that he would have to die. They vaguely remembered a little bit of that, but they always deflected that conversation. Anytime Jesus would start talking along those lines, then they would try to move it on to another subject. On one of those conversations in Matthew 16, Jesus had talked about dying at the hands of the Jewish leaders, but that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. I'm really not sure they heard those last few words that Jesus, their friend, and, and proclaimed Christ, the Son of God, was going to be raised from the dead, only that he was going to die. And then the crucifixion happened. Totally, totally unexpected. Or was it? The one time Peter said anything about it, more or less rebuking his friend and Lord, no, he said, this will never happen to you. Not on my watch, we might add words to what Peter said there. But then think about what Jesus said to him. It was a rather drastic, maybe even hurtful reply to Peter. Do you remember what he says? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter? Satan? Really? No, not really at all. Maybe Peter couldn't understand his friend's response at that moment, but there would come a time in another couple of months or so where everything would make sense to him. Practically, though, on that day he died, were they prepared to say goodbye to their friend in great haste? Sundown was coming soon, and their opportunity to even put Jesus in a tomb was closing down quickly. No, they weren't ready. First, they had to get Jesus in a tomb. Then, they'd have to worry about preparing his body, but they couldn't do that at the same time. They could only do just the minimal things, the skeletal things, and nothing more on that particular day. They would have to wait till the next available day to do that. Fortunately, one of Jesus' disciples, Joseph of Arimathea, had a tomb and he gave it to the disciples to put Jesus in. Joseph himself, with help from Nicodemus, if you'll remember him from John chapter 3, the, the Pharisee, they take Jesus' body after seeking permission from Pilate. They wrap him in a, in a linen cloth and they put a rock over the opening. John 19 verses 38 through 42 talks about some preparation was able to take place, but not everything. So they had to come back on the next day after Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, as she is called in Matthew 27, 61, sees exactly where Jesus' tomb is. You see, this was unmarked. So they had to be very careful about which one was his and which one was not. So they, they took a close eye on that. So in order to be able to come back on that, that uh, Sunday morning to be able to prepare Jesus' body for burial properly. Practically speaking, their first available window of opportunity to prepare him correctly was going to be at that first light of the first day of the week. Now having said all that, 
just exactly what kind of punctuation marks would you have given to what had happened to Jesus and his friends? More question marks than you could shake a stick at, I would imagine. Their future without Jesus? Well, arguably back to work. Uh, maybe back to the dull, same dull sameness that had followed them all of their lives until Jesus had come in to their lives. Their memories of that special three years would perhaps eventually fade, maybe even become legendary to them and their families over a period of time. Maybe they would have continued their ministry for a while. No, no one can really say. But, Perhaps worst of all, their future, or what they thought was going to be their future, was gone. Everything that they had invested in, their emotions, every aspect of their lives for that last three years that they had invested into Jesus Christ, gone. Nothing left. But you know, it's the same for us today. For without Jesus Christ in our lives... We have no hope either. Think about that one. But let's move on. Before the first light of dawn on that, uh, on that morning after the Sabbath had passed, we find Mary Magdalene and others going to the tomb. She remembered where the tomb was. She had it exactly in her mind. She hadn't lost sight of it at all. That was her friend. And you see, she needed to take care of him. Whether anybody else did or not was irrelevant. But how were they going to get into the tomb? That was a big question as they were walking along. Even Mark 16 even interjects a question. Who's strong enough to be able to move that stone, they ask each other, as they're walking towards uh, Jesus' tomb? Still, more concerns, more questions that they're coming up with, more questions than answers. And then they get to the tomb. A bombshell is dropped. More questions. More concern. More confusion. The stone had already been moved. In John's writing, it appears that Mary doesn't go in without having gone to tell Peter and John that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. If we look at the stories from the other Gospels, we see that perhaps a lot went on in this short, relatively short time period. But we're going to stick with John's version here this morning. Anyway, Peter and John go, go in, and sure enough, Jesus' body is not there. But the odd thing about it, it didn't look like it had been hastily moved. It looked like everything had been relaxed. The, the linen cloth that had been put over Jesus' body was folded. Can you imagine that? Big time question marks are going off now. What's happened to our friend, our Lord, our teacher? Where is he? What's been done to or with his lifeless body? Perhaps it was that time that light began to come on to the disciples. Jesus had told them that he had been raised after three days. They look at each other and they think, it's been what? Three days. And yet John 20 verse 9 says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So confusion still rules the day, up until now at least. Again, more questions than answers. So we come to our reading, and we see immediately that the other disciples head back home. 
Mary stood there, downtrodden. She was crying. Maybe it was a culmination of tears for her friend from having seen what the Jews, his own people, had done to him over that time that she had known him. Maybe the time had come to admit Jesus really was gone for good. Perhaps more specifically, she was weeping because of what they had done to him just a few days before. But you see, the beauty of Easter is that it comes to those who feel the same way that Mary did that day. Who hurt because Jesus was so unfairly treated. We weep because in our heart of hearts, we know we, in our own way, we abuse Jesus as well. In fact, we had a hand in His crucifixion. Like it or not, Easter is a time to show true emotion for our Lord. Mary's looking into the tomb now. Sees two figures in white. Peter and John hadn't said anything about seeing them. No mention of anybody in the tomb at all. Talk about real confusion now. She wasn't prepared for anything like this. Here they are sitting where Jesus' body had been placed only Friday afternoon. He's gone. They're here. What's happening? They see her crying and they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? You see, they're asking a question here that they already know the answer to. They've taken my Lord away. She didn't know who, although she had a pretty good idea who may have done it. Uh, to protect in some warped way themselves. She didn't know. She just knew that there was somebody out there who didn't really want him to be in that tomb, no matter what. Matthew 27, 66 and on, we see that the chief priests and Pharisees wanted to hedge their bets on Jesus just to make sure that no one tried to steal the body. Oh, that's what they would tell Pilate anyway. Maybe so they could make good and sure that the stone stayed sealed. And no one could get in or out. Maybe Mary understood or even misunderstood that the Jews were not above something like that. She couldn't or nor would she trust them to tell the truth. Most, most especially because of what they had done to her friend. She just did not feel like there was any trust involved at all. I don't know where they've put him, whoever they are. Can you hear exasperation in her voice as she says that? Without a recorded spoken word here, she turns and runs into almost what she thinks is the gardener. John 19.41 tells us where the tomb was located. It was in a garden. Can you imagine that? Isn't that interesting? Because in Genesis 2, man in God's new creation was placed where? In a garden. Now we see the beginning of new life in Jesus begins in a garden as well. For Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, our new life is standing right before her. Why are you crying? The gardener, quote unquote, asked Mary. Who are you looking for? Again, he knows the answer to his question. And yet she has to see him for who he is, just like we do. Sir, if you've carried my friend away, please tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. 
And then Jesus says to his friend, Mary, she turns to him. And with a huge exclamation point at the end of her statement, she simply says in Aramaic, Rabboni, which meant teacher. This morning of all mornings, the risen Jesus becomes real to Mary Magdalene. As it was for her, Easter announces the truth to us that Jesus Christ is risen and that He is near. It's funny, but it wasn't her vision of Jesus that brought Him alive to her. It happened when Jesus called her by name. It's the most personal way that we can be communicated with, is it not? And that's what Christianity offers us. A most personal relationship with the one Mary found in the garden that day. She heard Jesus and she responded. Yet, that shouldn't be a real surprise. The Bible is revealed to us through words. Words create worlds. It's how God created the universe. He spoke it into being. God said, God said, God said in Genesis 1. And it was so. The Scriptures are called what? The Word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was the Word? Jesus Christ. Through His Word, we are called into a relationship with Jesus. Mary heard her name and she was elated. It was her Master. Mary claimed Him as her teacher. She pursued her Savior and she found Him. It gets better. Jesus tells her not to try to hug Him at that particular juncture. I mean, what else would you want to do in that case, right? The man that you thought was your, one of your best friends, if not your best friend, was gone and all of a sudden he's back. Who wouldn't want a hug, right? No, wait, he says. I haven't returned to my father just yet. Maybe there's disappointment in her face. Maybe, again, more questions. I don't know. I mean, here she's found her teacher alive. He knows her. She's excited because she has found Jesus. But here's the clincher. He tells her to go. And tell my brothers that I am returning to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Remember, he tried to tell them in John 14, verse 28, that that was what he was going to do. By, telling, or by calling her name, her mission immediately started. And her mission was to tell her friends that Jesus was risen and alive. I have seen the Lord, she proclaimed. Go and tell. Come and see. And when she told them, can you not hear the excitement in her voice? Luke 2, when the shepherds had heard about the Christ child being born, they said, let's go and see this child, this thing that has happened. And when they did, they left there and returned to their sheep, but told everyone along the way what they had seen, that Jesus Christ was indeed alive. They had seen Jesus. As Jesus began His ministry just three years or so before that morning of all mornings, He told Peter and Andrew, Come and see what I'm about. The other disciples took up that same cry when they met Jesus. Come and see. John 4, the woman at the well. Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. 
See, Jesus called her out. And when He call, tells us to come and see, He then finishes that thought up to us with, Go and tell. And when we meet Jesus, when we grow in Him, when we tell others about Him, it shouldn't be done with a period at the end of the sentence. It shouldn't be done with confusion in our voices. After all, we have the Word in us. We have God's Holy Spirit who took Jesus' place when He ascended into heaven to be with us, to teach us, to help us grow. If as Christians today and every day claim that Jesus truly, really and truly has died on the cross and has really been raised from the dead and He truly knows us by name, then He is available to be met and known by all who with the help of the Holy Spirit would come to, to, would simply come and see. Our faith is in a risen Lord. With a joy, we proclaim Him as our teacher. We believe in the resurrection, and we believe that as John 14, 6 tells us, He is the only way to the Father. The only way. We believe that God through Christ overcame death and Satan through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Jesus has been revealed as alive and available to be known and loved by all who trust completely in Him. Folks, I don't know what your attitude was when you woke up this morning, but because Jesus lives today and forever, then the only way we can finish this day, the only way we can get through every day, the only way we should navigate life as a whole is to look with joy to the mercy and grace given to us by the one who conquered the grave, our Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, we have seen the Lord. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And with a big exclamation point at the end of that, all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we just, we love you. We don't always show it. We don't always do it right. And yet, as Brett said, Jesus has come to pull us out of this mess. And so we thank you for what he has done, for the love, the sacrifice you made for us to give your son up to die so that we might live. And we ask you today, Lord, if you would, would you continue to be with us? Don't give up on us. Help us, strengthen us, and guide us so that we might come and see, so that we might go and tell. Would you bless us to that end? We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.